You may be seated. Those who are elementary age uh, can go down with Miss Joanna for the class. She's got some fun stuff down there. I saw it. I was... Some games. If adults want to go down there too, I mean, it's okay. I mean, no. We're going to have fun up here too uh, with Romans 12. We've been going through Romans 12 in a sermon series that we've called Gifted, and part of that is because... The beginning part of Romans 12 uh, talks a lot about uh, spiritual gifts, but there's some groundwork that the Apostle Paul lays before he gets to the actual specific mentioning of gifts. And so Tommy Moore preached a sermon on the first couple of verses where he talked about really the center of the church, and the center of the church is the worship of Jesus. It says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is holy and pleasing to God. And this is your spiritual worship, this mercy of God that he's talking about. It's it's the gospel. He's talking about Christ and what Christ has done for us. And so for the church, in in light of that gospel, in light of that mercy, in light of that grace, we respond with absolute unconditional surrender of our whole lives to him, and this is worship. And this is uh, the very center of the church. If this is not the center of the church, then we're in trouble. We, we, We really can't talk about anything else until that is actually the center of the church, which is why we preach the gospel, we sing the gospel, we uh, see the gospel and the bread and the cup, right? We, we, we're continually recentering ourselves on Christ. But that centering should result in a culture, and this is what we talked about last week, is the culture of humility in the church, where we can think of ourselves with sober judgment, the, the text says. Uh, not more highly than we ought, and nor n- not less than we should either. We, we, it's, humility is not despairing, it, no, nor is it being puffed up. It, it's thinking rightly, rightly about who God is, about who we are and who others are. And so that center, if it's, if it's where it should be, it should be uh, manifesting a culture of humility. All of this is groundwork for understanding the function of the church, which will eventually get us to talking about spiritual gifts. Because if, the, if that center really is the worship of Jesus and that culture really is humility, the body, the church, is going to function in a, in a healthy way. It's not going to be dysfunctional. It's going to be functional. And so this is what these few verses that we're going to look at today really point to. That what does it look like if the church is functional, if it's functioning in a, in a, in a healthy way? Uh, I'll read that text again. Romans 12, verse 4 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, right? So, you see this back and forth, even in this small bit of text here where he's, he's talking about this, the sense in which uh, the church is one, but the church is many, right? There's a diversity in the church, but there's a unity in the church. And he uses the human body to illustrate that. And it's the Apostle Paul's favorite image for the church is is the human body, which has individual human parts, 
right? There's a lot of different parts of the body. They're very different. An ear is very different than a kneecap, right? A kneecap is very different than a little toe. There's, there's so many different parts, and, and you know, they, they may share some common things, but they have very, uh, varying uh, diversity between the different parts. Uh, but those different parts work in a unity, and we see that probably the ultimate expression of that is in, you know, really great athletes who are, are taking those individual parts and, and they're unifying them in a purpose that we all look at and go, wow, how do they run that fast or hit the tennis ball with that much accuracy or, or, or kick a soccer ball like that? Like, this is, this is amazing as they take the, the diversity of those parts and they bring them together in a unity. So we want to talk about both of those concepts, both, both the diversity of the parts and the unity as those parts work together. We've been saying this uh, since, since Tommy preached his sermon. He, he said that the spiritual gifts are different abilities or skills that are given to every Christian by God. They are empowered by God, and they're given so that the, the kingdom of God can be advanced. And so we've said that over and over and over and again. And uh, this, this scripture that we've just read definitely communicates that, this, these different gifts that are brought together in a unified purpose. And what this says, or one of the things that it, it tells us about how God interacts with His people is that uh, He's not real big on equality. Right? He, he's, he's not passing out gifts in equal measures to everyone. Um, you hear it in the passage that I just read, Romans 12, 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 11, he writes, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Or later in that same chapter in Corinthians, and God has appointed in the church First apostles, then uh, second prophets, third teachers, and he goes on to, to have this list of different gifts. And then Ephesians 4, verse 7 says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Apostle Paul, over and over and over, keeps pointing to this reality that, that God is appointing, He's apportioning, He's measuring out gifts in different ways to different people. And you say, well, what? What's the big deal? Well, it's, it's a little odd for us because we're way into to fairness. Right? We want everyone to get the same thing. So at Christmas time at our house, uh, we do our very best to make sure that every child gets not the same gifts, but the same amount of money spent on them, the, the same number of gifts. So we, we want everyone to feel like we've fairly treated all three children. Right? And, 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 I, and I think for, there's nothing wrong with that at Christmas time, but, but sometimes in the church, there's this thinking that, well, God's giving this uh, equal amount of gifts to everyone, and He's not. He's appointing, He's apportioning, He's measuring out as He wills. And we are to receive those gifts accordingly. And that's hard for us, um, in part because we have these enemies that we're fighting. And maybe you've heard this, this, this comes from 1 John chapter 2, that the enemies 
of the Christian are the world, the flesh, and the devil. All three of these can creep into our experience of, of spiritual gifts and how they function. So, uh, when we say the world, what we mean are the ideas of our culture that are set up against God. And so, one of those ideas is that the boss is more valuable than those who serve. Those in charge are more valuable than those who are not in charge, right? Well, that's a worldly idea, but we drink that up every day, right? Uh, you hear it in one of the specific ways that, that, that I thought about was the conversations uh, about uh, women who stay home with their children and are sometimes made to feel less than, right? Because, well, you're wasting your life. You need to go get in charge somewhere and make a lot of money and get a lot of attention out there in, in the world. And, and then certainly sometimes the, both women can go back, back and forth making each other feel bad about that. But, but it's one of those ways that the world's ideas it kind of creeps into uh, our, our minds. Um, the flesh, when we say that, we mean the indwelling sin, that even after we become Christians, we still have... A, a sinful nature that we're having to deal with, we're having to fight against, right? And, and so that part of what that flesh wants to do is it wants to absorb glory. And we're really not made to absorb glory, right? That our original designer made us such that we would be image bearers. We would reflect glory for God, right? And so there's that thing in us. We, we want attention. We, we want to absorb Glory, And so not only do we have the world telling us that we should be glory absorbers, but we have a flesh within us that wants to be a glory absorber. And then the third enemy is Satan. Right? And, and so he is more than willing to jump on those tendencies and fan those into flame as much as he can. And the result is that he can cause a lot of division in the church. And so as you see that sort of unholy trinity come together, uh, you can see how that can affect the expression of spiritual gifts. We must fight these enemies uh, in a lot of different ways, but one of the ways is we fight these enemies by seeking to express our individual gifts as part of a whole. This is how we should think about our gifts. We shouldn't think of our gifts as single solitary gift. This is my gift, and I want to express my gift the way I want to express my gift, but that, no, my gift is part of a greater whole, that I'm an ear, and I can't do much just as an ear. Right? But, but if I, as an ear, is, am a part of a greater whole, the, the body of Christ, then some great things can, can happen. This is how Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, "'For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, "'Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body,' that would not make it any less a part of the body.'" If an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body." He's saying, if you're just a fully functioning hand and that's all you are, not much is going to happen out of that. 
right? If, if one part of your body is injured and the rest of your body is in really good shape, nothing's going to happen really well out of that either. Uh, my son Cooper is home from college, and so, of course, when you come home from college, your dad makes you mow the yard. And so I'm asking him to mow the yard. Would you mow the yard? And he's like, yeah, I'll mow the yard. But he goes to play basketball first. And when he was playing basketball, he turned his ankle. And he came home. And he's like, Dad, I can't mow the yard. I turned my ankle. And I'm like, what do you mean you can't mow the yard? Your hands are fine. Your arms are fine. Your other ankle's fine. Your legs are fine. You telling me one little ankle and you can't mow the yard? No, of course he can't mow the yard, right? One part of him. Is, is lame, is hurt, is injured. It, it, can't fu- it affects the whole, the whole body. And so Paul, Paul is teaching us as an individual person with a set of gifts, we need to be thinking about those gifts as they are expressed in a whole, in the one body. So how do I do that? Right? How do I function as part of the whole? Well, we're going, to, we're going to go some levels here. So first level is, well, uh, we submit to the authority of God. Right? God is, is the authority of the church. The way that Paul uh, talks about this in Ephesians 4, he says Christ is the head of the body. There's none of us in here who have the spiritual gifts of being the head of this body. Jesus is the head of the body. And so the head is what is orchestrating the rest of the movement's of the body. So if the body is submitted to the authority of the head, then the body is going to be working in sync. And you may think, well, that sounds good. I mean, that's a great theory, uh, but Christians have a hard time working together, even though they're all saying, no, no, I'm following Jesus, and, and you're not, right? Well, how, how is it that Christians that are sinners, saved by grace, work in progress, trying to submit to the head, uh, but are struggling with that, how is it that they can unify? Uh, so the next level down, if we, if we dive a little deeper, is because we come under the Scripture. We, we believe that the, the way Christ reveals His will to His church is through the Bible, right? And the, that the Holy Spirit uses the Word to not just give us some information, but to give us a timely communication for now to help us understand what, what Jesus is calling us to, how He's leading us forward, and that, that unifies us. That gives us uh, unity as, as a body. You might say, well, okay, that, that sounds a little more practical, and that makes sense, but people disagree on how to interpret Scripture, right? So, so okay, we've, we've gone down from, okay, Christ is the head, to we, we look at Scripture as authoritative. Well, let's go one, one more uh, level down, and, and one more level down is, well, uh, you submit to the leaders of your church. This is why God gives churches leaders. And though those leaders be imperfect, those leaders are called to lead the church. And so you as a member of that body are submitting to Christ when you submit to the leaders of the church, and it brings a unity. Unless those leaders are denying the gospel, right? You definitely need to not submit to them and throw them out if if they're going to deny the gospel, or if they have some character flaw that disqualifies them for being a leader. So if they have uh, an, an addiction, if they have, uh, they're divorcing their spouse, 
you know, the, the, we're talking big stuff. If you were to look up First Timothy three and look at the qualifications for elders, you just think about the opposite of those things, right? They're they're angry and they can't control their anger. Like those things disqualify a person for being an elder in the church. But if it's not that, if it's not denying the gospel or some kind of disqualifying character trait then you submit to the leaders. Now, it doesn't mean you don't speak up. doesn't mean you don't suggest. doesn't mean you don't ask questions. But at the end of the day, the way that the body continues to be unified is that the leaders lead and the members submit to that leadership. This is part of how we function as a unified body. And so the Word is saying to you, I am saying to you, uh, because the Word says this, that you are gifted you're gifted by God. If you are a believer in Jesus and God's Spirit lives in you, He's given you spiritual gifts, and He's calling you to use those gifts in the body of Christ. And many of you are. Many of you are. Uh, many of you are meeting the physical needs of other people. You're, you're seeing needs in people's lives, and you're, you're stepping in there, and you're meeting uh, those needs. Many of you are shepherding the souls of others. You're walking with others and you're commending the gospel to them and you're teaching them how to, to do spiritual disciplines and you're walking along with them as a shepherd. Some of you are organizing others and helping things run uh, smoothly. Others of you are sharing your faith with others and, and helping people to come to know the gospel and to come to faith and come be a part of our, uh, our fellowship. Uh, some of you are praying for others. Uh, diligently, every week, uh, lifting up the needs of the congregation uh, to God in prayer. Uh, some of you are taking care of the facilities here. You're, you're working to make sure uh, the, the yard's mowed, or things are painted, or things are taken care of, uh, as, as this facility always has something that is in need of uh, updating or maintenance. Uh, many are executing Sunday morning this morning, right? we got people that are greeting and people that are setting up hospitality and filling communion cups and cleaning up and setting up and breaking down and making sure signs are out so people know where to park. All these things are ways that folks are, are serving and using their gifts. Folks are making food. Folks are caring for children. Folks are comforting people who are in, in crisis. Folks are leading worship. All, the, all these things and more are ways that people are using their gifts in uh, the body of Christ. And we're grateful. And we, we celebrate that. And we, and we give glory to Christ for that. that. That God in His mercy has worked in your lives by the grace of the gospel, the power of the Spirit, such that you're not just concerned about yourself, right? You're not, you're not just focused in on how can I make my life the best it can be, but you're looking outside of yourself and, and, and seeing the needs of others and seeing the need of, of the church and the mission that the church is on. And it's It's beautiful. It's powerful. Um, if you are a Christian and you're hearing that and you're thinking, well, I'm not really expressing my gifts, uh, and I've talked about this a little bit last week, then you need to repent of that and you need to start using your gifts. It's a sin not to use your spiritual gifts for the building up of others in the church. It's a command in the Word, right? He says, Use them. It's there. You think, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm making sure that I'm, I'm, I'm not acting out sexually in a way that's inappropriate. I, I, I'm, I'm spending my money wisely. I'm trying to be a good spouse. You know, whatever your list is. We've all got our little list, right? 
And, and we've, we've created that list. And some of it may parallel some of the things in the Bible, but we think, well, I've checked off my list. I'm good. Well, you, you need to add on that list using your spiritual gifts. They're building up the church. This is, this is a command of Jesus. You want to be a follower of Jesus? You want to be a disciple of Jesus? This is an important piece. And you're missing out if you don't. This is not something that should make you feel like, oh my gosh, Robert's getting on to us about not serving in the church. I guess I need to serve. No, this is life. Jesus says if you try to save your life, you lose it. If you lose your life for the sake of the gospel, you gain it. And it's paradoxical, I know, and it, feel, it feels counterintuitive, and you just think, well, if I try to give out anything more and I try to pour out anything more, uh, I, I'm just, I'm just going to uh, get exhausted. I don't have the margin, blah, blah, blah. No, it's, it's a faith step. And as you push into that by faith, guess what happens? God shows up. God's Holy Spirit is, is dwelling in you and, and is saying, hey, I want you to step up. In, in exercising your gifts in the church. And again, I, I said this last week, it doesn't necessarily mean you've got to sign up from some little organizational slot, although we have those and those are important, but it may be just an organic pushing, pressing in and seeing the needs that are in the congregation, seeing the needs that are in your small group and, and, and saying, you know what, I have a gifting here. I need to express this for the glory of God and the benefit of other people. Now, leaders also have the responsibility to foster people's use of their gifts. And this is what Paul refers to, I think, in the second part of 1 Corinthians 12. He says this, verse 20, 21, "...the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. On those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I, I think He's he's addressing leaders in that passage for the most part where he's saying those of you that are up front, that that do a lot of the talking, that get a lot of the attention, okay, I'd I'd be one of those people, right? And and he's saying that those folks that are leading and talking and getting a lot of of attention, uh, attention, they seem indispensable. And he's saying, no, they're not. They're not indispensable. Just as, as God raises up a, a teacher or a pastor or a preacher, one time He can do it again. Right? And it is by the grace of God that anyone has any gifts, whether that be pre- preaching or teaching or, or something that's more behind the scenes, like service. These are all gifts of grace. They are charismata, right? That's a word that's being translated spiritual gifts. It's marks of grace, these are, these are grace gifts, and whether it be service or mercy or preaching or apostleship or evangelism, whatever it is, it's a, it's a grace gift. And those that are more behind the scenes are, are needing more encouragement. They're needing more attention because they don't naturally get attention, right? And so, he, you know, he says, 
those that are less honorable. Well, he's saying those that are getting less attention, those that are getting less, uh, less praise. He's saying that, that he's composed the body that way, and he says giving greater honor to the parts that lack it. Right? Tom Brady is nothing without his offensive line. He couldn't get a pass off. He could do nothing without his offensive line. The Walmart, of CEO, could, uh, the Walmart CEO could do nothing without those cashiers that serve, serve customers in a way that make customers want to come back. Right? But that CEO is, is, is nothing. Uh, the presidents of the, the five colleges, they're nothing without the maintenance people that make sure the heat is on in February. There'd be no students in those classes if the heat was not on in the winter. Am I right? And that, those presidents would not have a college to lead, right? These that don't really get a lot of attention, these that are behind the scenes, they're indispensable, and they're, they're worthy of honor. They're worthy of, of being given, given thanks. And again, why would, they, why would they do that? Why would they need this honor, this, uh, this attention? And uh, again, 1 Corinthians 12, 25 says that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. That folks are, are feeling that they're one in the family that they're in and the mission that they're on as that family, and that they're cared for, that they're cared for. That not just uh, the, the, the teachers and the preachers and the leaders that are doing things that get attention are, are being cared for, but the folks that are behind the scenes, that they're getting care for. Will we, will we ever do that perfectly? No. No, we won't. But we're being called to this by uh, God's Word as we look at it here in Romans 12 and 1 uh, Corinthians 12. Everyone is to see themselves not as, an, again, an individual person with individual gifts, but as part of a greater whole. Um, one of the things that I usually do at a servant team meeting, so servant team leaders are folks that are leading hospitality and greeting and audiovisual, uh, uh, doing kitchen stuff for events, uh, uh, building things, I mean, all, all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff that most of you, you never see it. And so we'll get together once a month and we'll check in, see how things are going and, and uh, try to help folks to, to, to lead and to, to grow in their leadership skills but I always tell some stories about what God is doing in the lives of the church. And say, wow, this, this person came to faith this, this month. They became a Christian. Uh, this person was able to, to walk through a crisis and hear the gospel and then be shepherded, and, and this is what's going on in their, in their lives. And, and then at the end of that, I say, you were a part of that. You who made sure that the floor was swept and things were set up and, and that it was an environment that was welcoming so that that person could actually come in here and then hear the gospel and be ministered to. Like, like this is, all, you're part of that. All of those things are important. All those things are indispensable. And so we are all part of that greater mission that God has called us to. I, I think, I think about us as a church and I'm, I'm really encouraged in a lot of ways about us as a church and the fruitfulness of, of our ministry and seeing a number of people profess faith this year and become Christians over the school year, uh, seeing families that 
uh, are, are growing in their vision for what it means to be a Christian family and to be and a little ministry outpost. And so, so there's some really positive things. But when I think about what holds us back uh, is that we need more of what I call the ground war. And so we have a pretty good air war, right? When I say air war, I mean we've got, we've got some, some folks that can preach the gospel on Sunday morning. We have excellent worship. We, we have, I think, a, a really good environment to welcome people into. And over and over and over, I hear folks saying, well, when I went, I was welcomed. Like, I felt warmly welcomed, and, and like, people really wanted me to be there. And, and so I, I think our, sort of our, our air war of Sunday morning is, is pretty good and pretty fruitful. It's the ground war that is what's holding us back. We really, we have a lot of opportunities in, in, in the mix of people that are coming in and out of our doors. I was talking to a pastor yesterday. He was like, we don't, we can't get any new people. No one visits our church. No one new ever comes. <laughs> I think most of you, if you're here week in and week out, you're like, I'm just trying to get to know the people here because there's so many new ones all the time, and they're coming in and coming out and coming in and coming out. And I know that drives some of you crazy, but it's such a blessing. And part of that is they're here to participate in the air war, right? They're, they're hearing the gospel, they're worshiping, and they're, they're being in an environment that's encouraging to them. Uh, but the thing that takes it to the next level is the ground war, where, where a person reaches out to another person that's here in the mix and gets to know them, realizes, oh, they're not a Christian. They've, this is the first time they've ever been in a church before. And then getting to know their name, and maybe the next week calling their name and saying hello and, and getting to know them a little better and then saying, hey, would you, would you want to get together sometime? I'd love to have coffee with you. Yeah, let's get together. And then talking to them and talking to them about the gospel and talking to them about what it means to take next steps as a disciple of Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. That's the ground war. And that's what we need more of. That's what we need more of. And, and, and I think the, the potential for fruitfulness it's, it's, it feels endless to me. When we look at all the people that come in our doors and fill out a first-time first time guest, it's, it's overwhelming. And so folks getting that vision that they're participating in that ground war. I've had some conversations with some folks that have, have, have been uh, interesting. Where uh, So one was, I uh, was in a small group, and there was a mix of students and uh, some working folks and uh, and I just nudged one of the working folks one day, and I said, you know, you ought to ask so-and-so, these, these two students, you ought to ask them to go to coffee and to chat and to talk. And it was like, really? Do you, do you think they want to have coffee with me? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And he did it. And he came back, he said, man, we had a great time. And they asked me a bunch of questions, and it, but it was just like he just needed a little nudge. He just needed a little permission. Well, well consider yourself nudged. Consider yourself nudged. I had a similar conversation with, with another, another guy in our, our church. He, he was at the Burley Man Retreat, and so it was a good mix of people, and, and there were some students, and there was working people, and, and different ages. And, and so one of the recently graduated students uh, had, had reached out to this guy who was a little older and uh, was asking questions. And they had this great conversation, like two-hour conversation. And he, he said to me, he said, I thought at first... He was just being nice to me because I was like the old guy. And uh, he's like, but he really wanted to know what, what I had to say. Consider yourself nudged, okay? I don't know if you've noticed, but the mission of reaching and building up students 
is, is pretty central in this place. If you're a working person and you're not participating in that at some level, uh, if, if, you're not, if you don't have a couple of students in your life that you're pouring into, and you're, you're missing the boat. You're, you're not on the mission that your church is on. God has placed us in this location, this close to these institutions for a reason. And we are, we are on a particular mission. It's not the only thing we do, but it's a very important piece of our mission. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not talking about you, you've got to spend you know, hours and hours and hours a week doing student ministry, although you may be called to that, and some of you are, but to at least have a couple of students that are in your life that maybe you've met on a Sunday morning or they're in your small group and you're in, being intentional about helping them grow as disciples. Now, to those of you that are students, and we have students here, uh, some of them will be listening to this podcast back at home, wherever they are right now. Uh, there are ways that, that you're called to serve in this church as well. And, and, and a lot of students do serve, but I'll mention one. One hope that we have is that the kids' ministry downstairs will actually be run by students. And that parents would be up here in worship and not down there having to teach their kids. And then those parents are pouring into students. And students are pouring into the kids of those parents. That's how the body works. We're, we're not just trying to take care of our own self and our own kids or as a student, like, I, I want this, this church to serve me and, and my needs. And No, no, we're, we're pouring out for each other. And as we get that vision, then we begin to function as a body. And we are at some level. There are students that serve downstairs. There are uh, working adults that are, are, are pouring out for the lives of students. But I think we're just, just like scratch the surface on what is possible in terms of functioning as a body in Christ. Another way that as, as leaders and, and anybody, actually anybody can do this. It doesn't have to be a leader, but that we make sure the body is functioning well in terms of their gifting is that we are sniffing out the gifts that are in our body. We're looking for those gifts, and we're trying to call those out. We're encouraging those out of people. We're going to be best at seeing and encouraging the gifts that we have. Like, I have a preacher radar if, if you're you know, in, in a small group and I'm listening to you articulate the gospel and answer a question or, or you give a little five-minute thing from up front, uh, I, there's just like a little radar that goes off of me and I go, that, that's a preacher right there. This has happened to me many times and I'm almost always right. And we, I've had these experiences where I, I've, I've, I've smelled out, sniffed out a, a, a preacher and I'll work with them and coach them up and encourage them and train them and then get them up here on a Sunday morning and people are like, that guy? That guy? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if, that, I don't know, I don't know if that's going to work. I, I don't know if they're going to be able to do it. And they're like, boom, preach, first sermon, like knock your socks off. Right? And, and it's because they have a gifting. Now, doesn't mean they don't need to grow and mature and hone that gift, but, but they have a gifting. Now, you can do that too. Like If you have a gift of mercy, you, you, you're able to sniff out those that have that same gift and encourage them, hey, you, you have this gift. 
Here's some of the pitfalls that I've experienced. Here's some of the ways that I've seen God use my gifting. Come on, you can, you can do this too. Or encouragement or organization. All, all kinds of things that you, you have and so then you can encourage that out of others. If, in fact, if you do have the gift of administration or leadership, uh, you have a sense of all the gifts because that's what you do. You, you mobilize uh, the gifts in the body. And so you're like, oh, that person does this and this and this and this, how it all fits together. And you just start organizing these, these visions and dreams of how the gifts work together. And it's, it's a powerful, powerful uh, gift that God gives you. We'll talk more about that uh, as we go. All this is possible because, well, what he says in Romans 12, 5, we are one body in Christ. One body in Christ. Here's what he means by that. That here I, as a single solitary person, was a sinner separated from God. I had no relationship with God, but then was, was brought to the realization that through my faith in Christ, I could be forgiven and I could be reconciled with God in the vertical and that His Holy Spirit come dwell in me, right? And, and, but that was also true in Keith's life. Come here, Keith. Help me out here. In Anna's life. Come here. Right? So they too, I know it's hard for you to believe, but Keith and Anna are sinners too. And they came to the realization that they were separated from God and that nothing could, could fix that except for Christ. And they put their faith in Christ and, and forgiven of their sins and God's Spirit came to live inside of them. So here we have three single solitary individuals who have God's Spirit living inside of us, right? But that's not the end of the story, is it? We, that same Spirit is unifying us. And, and so we, we are becoming one in Christ. And that is true and it's also a work in progress, <laughs> And so I have gifts that Keith and Anna needs. Anna has gifts that I need and Keith needs. Keith has gifts that I need and Anna needs, right? And so as God's Spirit is working in us and through us, those gifts are being expressed, and we get to express what it means to be one in Christ. Thanks for being good. Good job. Right? And we are reminded that every time we come to this table. Because that unseen reality is hard to get our minds around. I don't know about you, I'm not that great at doing unseen, right? Like, it sounds all good and theoretical, but there's, there's these, these signs, these symbols that Christ has given us to help us understand those realities. And one of those signs, symbols, is communion. And so we're reminded that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, the night before His death, He took bread, He broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. He, he passed it out in community. He says, take, eat, this is my body given for you. And those disciples sat around that table. They're all munching on that matzah that night. And they're thinking about, wow, this, this is something that I'm experiencing individually because Jesus loves me and he's giving his body for me. They, I don't think they really understood fully what that meant that moment, but they would eventually. But they're also doing it in community. And then in the same way, he takes the cup, and after he blessed it, he gave it to them, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Same kind of thing. He's passing around this cup. They're all drinking this cup. They're drinking it as an individual, but they're looking around going, I'm not the only one drinking this cup. These other guys are drinking this cup too, and we're all drinking it together. 
And so, yes, Jesus, he loves me and he's saving me and he's inviting me into a covenant with him. But not only that, he's inviting me into a covenant community. And that's bought and paid for by the death of Christ. And so because of the death of Christ, if you're a Christian, you've been reconciled with God, you've been made one with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We're reminded of that as we take the cup and as we take the bread. And we're a work in progress, are we not? This is why we have to hear the gospel every week. Continually having to receive grace and give grace and forgive one another and receive forgiveness and, and grow in those relationships and, and move forward as we learn to express this thing that is real. It's already real. We've been made one in Christ. If you're hearing this and you're saying, I want that. Like, I, how do I get that? Well, uh, Receiving the forgiveness that Christ has paid for for you on the cross. So if you believe that Jesus is who He said He is in the Bible, that He's God become man who died on the cross, a real death for your sins, and that is through that and only that that you can be forgiven, then receive that forgiveness and be reconciled with God and enter into this covenant community. And so I would spend just a few minutes this morning just praying to God and telling Him that, that you believe that, that you want to receive that gift, you want to be forgiven, you want to enter into that kind of covenant. And so in a few minutes, we take this bread, this cup, uh, as a way to have something that we can see uh, that, that points to the realities of the unseen, that we are many, but we are one all at the same time. If you're here this morning and you know you're just beginning to inquire about the Christian faith, you're asking questions and reading and thinking, and you know you're not a Christian, and uh, I want to say I'm really glad that you're here. I think this is a good place for you to be able to inquire about that, to ask the tough questions, to explore that. Uh, but I'm going to ask you during this time uh, that you stay in your seat and uh, pray and think about what you're hearing. This table is for those that have come to the place where they have believed on Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and entered into relationship with Him. So let's pray. God, we're grateful for this oneness that we have with You and, and with one another. And we admit to You, Lord, this is not easy for us. That We are glory absorbers that are in need of forgiveness and healing and um, for our blind spots to be revealed and for us to be uh, brought into greater intimacy with you and with each other. And so we're grateful for times like this where we get to hear your word and take your uh, communion and sing songs with one another and to take one more step forward in what it means to live this out. So God, help us. Help us as a church to live out this vision that we read about in Scripture. And thank you for the ways that it's already being lived out. For those that are exercising gifts and pouring out and losing their lives for you, for the gospel, for one another. Uh, may their tr uh, tribe increase. Uh, we, we desperately want to see even more people coming to faith in Christ, being built up as disciples. Uh, God, help us to function at 100%. At Lord, we're asking that you would uh, bring us uh, to a place of even more fruitfulness. And we thank you for this time. We pray a blessing over the bread and the cup. God, that you would use this to, to unify us with you and us with one another. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, so if you've never done this with us before, uh, the folks on this side of the room will make a line on this side of the row. They'll take a piece of the 